Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. This broadcast, I am happy to introduce Dr. Manoj Monga, Professor and Chairman of Urology at the University of California in San Diego, California. He is also a past secretary of the AUA. His expertise in international recognition in the area of endourology and stone disease is well regarded, and I'm very honored to have him as a guest today. We'll be speaking about the current status of disposable ureteroscopes. Dr. Monga, thank you very much. Welcome, and uh, appreciate you being here today. Well, Brad, thank you for the kind invitation, and it's uh, great to talk with you. I look forward to, to seeing how the conversation goes, and welcome to our audience. So, Manoj, first, um, I think let's just educate the audience on, uh, like, just currently, and I know it's a moving target, things will change tomorrow, next week, and next month, but how many FDA-approved scopes are there? And maybe talk about some of the specifications, maybe not specifically to each scope, but what are, what are the range of specifications that we can expect in these scopes as far as digital imaging, tip size, working channel, et cetera? Well, Brad, thank you. That's an outstanding question because really it is a, a shifting environment for us. Every day a uh, new scope comes out and every day uh, a new company expresses an interest in developing a disposable user scope if they don't have one already. Suffice to say that there are now many alternatives and options for urologists to choose from and having a discerned eye as to what quality is brought and at what cost is important. Uh, there's at least six uh, disposable ureter scopes available on the market, most likely more. Most of them uh, are fairly similar in terms of degrees of deflection, in terms of uh, design, in terms of uh, optics, but there can be nuances in terms of each of those qualities and also maneuverability. One of the uniformities is also the size, which is a little larger than the smallest fiber optic scopes that are available but similar to most digital scopes that are available. Okay. Do you see any drastic changes to the design coming up in the, in the future? How can they improve other than making them maybe a little smaller for entry into the ureter? Yeah. So I think the main drive now is for technology to decrease the size of the digital chip at the tip. Uh, once that happens, then hopefully the scopes could be downsized to preferably 7.5 French if possible. That would be a significant change in terms of then the ability to access the ureter, either with greater ease over a wire or with the use of a smaller uteral access sheet. So that, that would definitely be a, a major change that if one of the many manufacturers in the field were to accomplish would set them apart from the others. In addition to that, there are certain nuances to design as well as the features available on either current or future scopes including the ability to provide more information, kind of like the, the Tesla uh, screen, whether it be intrarenal pressures or other opportunities to perhaps identify ways to decrease the morbidity and improve the success rate. So many of these devices will bring us opportunity that, that we need to have to evaluate critically to see if intrarenal pressures really do make a difference, to see what pressures make a difference to see 
if being able to identify stone hardness or stone composition intraoperatively endoscopically can help us modify our technique either in terms of what settings do we use on the laser or, or how do we treat the laser dusting or basketing. So does it, is it really helpful to be able to predict the size of the stone before you engage it in the basket and try to get it out? All of those things are things that are possible in the future and we'll have to look at how much cost does it add and how much value does it bring. Similarly, there's a, a new scope out now from the sponsor of this podcast, Wolf, that combines a flexible ureter scope with a semi-rigid ureter scope, again, in the disposable mode. So further evaluation of the utility of this uh, will be valuable to see does that decrease cost even further by decreasing the sterilization cost of not just the flexible scope, but also the semi-rigid scope. Okay, great. You know, we have a very wide range of audience on this podcast. And so I think one of the most difficult things for the people who are newly introduced to these scopes is how do you incorporate it into your practice? Do you have any advice or tidbits to let potential users understand how they might incorporate the disposable digital technology into their practice if they don't already have it there? I think it's uh, helpful first, as with any new technology, to review the literature. And uh, here again, as we mentioned at the onset, the literature is changing rapidly as new scopes come in. Typically, what a, a study tries to do is evaluate the resolution of the image, the uh, illumination of the scope, the field of view, the size, the maneuverability. Those are some of the variables that can typically be evaluated in a lab model, but the challenge is that those studies need to be replicated every six months or a year as new scopes come out. So that does help hopefully the clinician narrow down which of the scopes does he or she want to try in either an animal model setting or a patient setting. Ideally, the more one can do before using a scope in a patient is best because we want to make sure that we are cautious in terms of what potential harms we expose our patients to. Beyond that, then, it's a conversation with your hospital in terms of cost analysis at your institution. Typically, the, the value of bringing in a disposable scope versus using a reusable scope will be impacted by the volume of your cases as well as the complexity of your cases. So those are some of the considerations that end up feeding into not only whether to integrate single-use scopes into your practice, but also how to do it, whether it's a complete conversion or a hybrid based on where you're practicing and how many cases you're doing. A little bit of a curveball. Where does the disposable cystoscope fit into this as far as office practice, perhaps in training programs, residents who might need it on a difficult Foley cart, high-volume perk practices who use a lot of flexible cystoscopy at the end of their percutaneous procedures. Is there a similar kind of parallel market to disposable cystoscopes, or is that just a totally different topic in a different direction? No, I think they're indeed very parallel in terms of discussion. The discussion centers around infectious control issues, sterilization issues, uh, environmental sustainability issues, performance of the scopes, and cost. All of those things are considerations are the same, whether one's looking at flexible cystoscopy or flexible ureteroscopy. You mentioned environmental. I use disposable scopes a lot, and I just can't get over the 
kind of the concept of loading up the landfill concept. And what are some of the potential solutions or answers to those who are anti-disposable from an environmental impact standpoint? So I think the environmental impact is something that's not only in our minds, but also our colleagues in industry. Some of them have tried to develop different types of recycling processes, but everything we do, Brad, has an impact on the environment. So if you have a box full of scopes to send back to recycle, then you have to factor in the gas for the trucks that's taking it back. And, uh, and so doing a really detailed analysis of the impact on the environment can really be eye-opening. When one looks at a reusable scope and the amount of water that's required to re-sterilize uh, your reusable scope, I mean, that's going to be a major issue for the globe in the future is water shortage. And so those types of things, I think, while it's easy to see the box that we're throwing away and the scope that we're throwing away, it's harder to see the impact of the toxic solutions that we use to re-sterilize, the exposure of, to those toxic solutions that our personnel uh, have when they're, when they're re-sterilizing the scopes and the downstream effects in particular in terms of water conservation. So there are a number of enlightening presentations that have helped me learn a lot about sustainability and realize that those concerns that I had for disposable scopes are probably need a closer look. Uh, great, great points, Manoj. I mean, obviously the, the physicality of throwing something away is, is maybe a much more concrete than some of the other environmental impact uh, issues that you mentioned. I guess the real last question I have, and, and uh, certainly open it up to you if you have any other things you want to mention about this area. You did hit on it a little bit at the very beginning uh, about new technology, what might be on the horizon. You talked about applications, kind of the Tesla screen, if you will. One thing we didn't talk about is the robotic or, or maybe self-driven or automated disposable technology. Is there any any hint of that that's coming down the road? And what really is kind of the next step in, in the kind of the disposable area that we can maybe look for? I would say the self-driven technology that's maybe image-guided would be a, a holy grail. I haven't necessarily heard of that being close on the horizon. As you allude to, there are robotic platforms now available for flexible endoscopy, both for bronchoscopy and for ureteroscopy, which is exciting and it's novel, but it's costly. So establishing the right patient where that's going to bring value and hopefully improve outcomes is going to be an ongoing process for us now that the platforms are FDA approved. They bring other opportunities in terms of endoscopic guided percutaneous access. And I think that would be probably the area where it has the greatest value, but it's possible that we'll see other areas of opportunity with this new technology. All right, super. Well, Manoj, I genuinely appreciate your expertise. Look forward to the next horizon for endoscopy. I'm sure you will be part of that. So thank you so much. Appreciate your contributions. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, in the near future. Brad, thank you for the opportunity. And thank you to all our audience for joining us today. On behalf of uh, Richard Wolf Medical, the Journal of Endourology and the Endourological Society, I thank you for listening today and hope you can tune into the next podcast. <laughs>